Tech Talk with Matthew Dickerson. Matthew Dickerson. Sit back and relax. It's time to talk technology. Hello, tech fans, long haul drivers, and curious web browsers. Congratulations. You've scored another cracking episode of Tech Talk coming through your speakers right now in full Technicolor. And here's our coach for pretty much everything that there is to do with life in the future. It's Matthew Dickerson. How's your week been, Matt? Are we building ourselves up too much when we're congratulating people for tuning in? <laughs> no, 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 no. No, I've done a good job. Okay. Well, well done, guys. <laughs> good. I'm happy with that. I just wanted to make sure didn't want to make sure we we're boosting ourselves up too much, but now I'm happy with that. Uh, look, it's really an interesting week this week because we do talk about electric cars a little bit. There's usually a story each week because it is a really... It's an interesting field that's growing fast. Fast changing. That's absolutely right. And what I'm seeing now is some local car dealers are finally getting some models in their range. Not many, maybe one, maybe two in the local range. But suddenly what those dealers are finding with limited stock availability, very few models in terms of total quantity being brought into the nation, they're actually finding that people are making inquiries. People mm. are actually buying these cars. And some people aren't that comfortable. There are some manufacturers out there that are very modern and new wave and the way they're doing it, you go online and order it just like you might order a new pair of shoes or a useless box as we talked about previously. Yeah, but and it's less obvious when you do it that way, isn't it? Yeah. And, it's, and it's 20 bucks you might spend, but the point is that some of these car manufacturers are going online and you're ordering a car for $100,000. Mm. Here, it just gives you details for a credit card to take a deposit, then deposit the rest into this account and we'll ship it out to you in a truck and deliver it to your house. And that's the modern world, but yeah. some people aren't that comfortable with no, that. No, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> and that's fair enough, that's fair enough. But when some local car dealers who sometimes maybe aren't convinced that EVs are the way to go forward, when they're getting some physical stock in in the showroom where someone can come and physically look at it, touch it, take it for a drive, yeah. they're actually finding that people are ordering them. What mm. a miracle. But <laughs> this is the, the changing landscape we're seeing. So I went for a drive. I went to one of the car dealers this week, went for a drive in one of the new EVs that came out from what I would call a traditional car manufacturer. And they were really excited about the fact they had one physically there, but they've sold them already. They've been selling these cars already just because they've got them there. Hot people cakes. can touch them. Absolutely right. Yeah, yeah right. So well, More models that come more variety, more options. I mean, there's still a multi-month waiting list for a lot of these models that are coming out now because the traditional manufacturers just haven't ramped up enough yet mm. ready to be able to deliver the quantity that people are asking for. But it is changing and it's changing quickly. We will blink and people will not know what happened to them. So if you're going to keep up with the Joneses, absolutely, get yourself an EV car. That's it. Or at least order it now and wait for it to come in in six months. That's right. And then when the Joneses get theirs, you say, well, mine's coming. It's yeah, that's coming. Right. <laughs> it's coming. <laughs> All right, now I'm scanning the lineup today, uh, in and in our forward line, I see we've got um, something for the nerdiest of the nerds. I'll get them all tightly wound like a coiled spring. I don't want to give away too much here. It, you've just got to be ready for some ex excitement, folks. Um, now, and across the centre of the field, I can see that you've got a bit of a fast food solution to extending the range of your standard EVs. And um, holding the back line together is some backyard genetics biz. Good to see some biotech getting a mention here. But how is this to get the game started? It's 2020, and disappointingly, there are still no flying cars commercially available. Now, we've talked about them on this podcast before, but we're still a long way from the commuting day-to-day, -day, like the Jetsons. Or are we? A new force in Swedish engineering is giving a ch the challenge a nudge, and the company's name, well, Matt, what would you call a company in the business of making flying cars? There's only one. 
Only one name you could possibly call it, isn't it? It's got to be Jetson. There you go. <laughs> now, just a minor thing. I, I don't know if we've been through a bit of a time warp, but we're actually in 2021 now. So you mentioned it was 2020. Oh, well, wow. We're in 2021. I can't believe that. That year yeah. just went like that, didn't no, it? No, well, you know what? It lagged so long. It's like it, it's a memory, but 2020, uh, maybe 2020 was a better year for me. Uh, maybe. Yeah. Maybe you just want to go back to 2020 <laughs> when we're in the middle of a lockdown. Maybe it meant the, the decade of 2020. Maybe. That's it. We'll take that. <laughs> I can't believe I dropped that anyway. <laughs> I'll live with that one. So it's actually interesting because it was only a few days ago, a week or so ago, that it was the 118-year anniversary of the Wright brothers' first flight. The 59 seconds are up in the air for at Kitty Hawk. Yeah. Now, can you imagine that? That would have been so exciting. There was so much development happening around the world. And yeah. these guys nailed it, not through the ability to get a craft up in the air, not through the aerodynamics of that. The thing that they really nailed was the control of it because other people had managed to get the concept of this will fly, this is the sort of wing structure we need to make something fly, but they kept crashing. Yeah, it's a dangerous proposition, isn't it? It is. (laughs) (laughs) What training do you do when you go, there's no other one that's flying out there, we'll just work it out. We're going to put you on some balsa wood and some (laughs) canvas and see how you go. (laughs) That's right. So they, they really flew because they could control the plane is the way I view history and the, the Wright brothers. So exciting time for them. So 118 years ago, that happened. But you talk about the flying car and what fascinates me is that people have wanted a flying car for so long. Mm. We've talked about yeah. it. People have attempted it. It only took 14 years from the Wright brothers' first flight before the first flying car was announced. Now, obviously, mm. it wasn't that successful. Otherwise, we'd be talking about it more. But a guy named Glenn Curtis unveiled his autoplane. Let's call him the father of flying cars. Yeah, okay. And he attempted to put some wings and a propeller at the rear of the car and try to build a flying car. And for some strange reason, he couldn't get any backers. It just didn't seem that practical to <laughs> fly this car with these big wings into your garage at home or down the highway where you landed it so it didn't go so well could have been that the investors saw how heavy the car was <laughs> and realized that this is not going to work it might have been but over the years we've had waldo waterman he tried to modify a studebaker that was back in about 1937 he had detachable wings so he solved the problem by taking the wings off when you park yeah, in the garage right. i can't imagine that'd be the quickest thing to do but <laughs> he was kind of working down that idea, but it didn't really go, uh, I think probably finance was the issue there. 1946, it was an Airphibian, and they went the opposite way. They took a plane and adapted it to drive rather than a car and adapting it to fly, but it didn't go so well either. So lots of these different cars, and they've all had interesting names. We've had the Convair car, we had the Avro car, the Aero car, the Sky car, the Skyrider, the City Hawk, the Air car. There was Chitty Chitty Bang Bang in there too, wasn't there? Yeah, <laughs> that's probably right. <laughs> they all overpromised and underdelivered. But now the Jetson and the model they've got now is the Jetson One. I assume the One refers more to the fact that it takes one passenger rather than it's the first one because I don't oh, know that right. I'd want to be flying the first revision of a flying car. <laughs> I think I'd want to go, can Good I wait luck. for version two? <laughs> <laughs> and bring back some milk. That's, that's right. So the flying, the Jetson One is a, and again, car is a bit loose because it's got no wheels and you can't drive along the road. But I think they're calling it a flying car because it's something that you could park in your garage or at the mm. front of your house and you just say, I'll slip up to the supermarket, grab some milk and bread, you take off in your flying car, end of the supermarket, grab those things and come back home. So it's a personal aerial or no, I think they call it a personal electric aerial vehicle, a PAV. Mm. That'll be a term that we may hear again, we may not. I'm not sure if it really rolls off the tongue that well. But this particular one has got the ability to make it a personal transportable vehicle of some note. 
it's got the ability to fly at 100 k's an hour, so good speed, so you can get from A to B pretty quickly. And again, I can see that being relevant, absolutely relevant, in a congested city, not so much in the open highways, because mm. you've got a fairly straight road. But when you can get past that congested traffic and look down below you and see all these cars lined up at traffic lights and crawling on at 10 kilometres an hour, you start to go 100 k's an hour, yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah. It'll fly at 450 metres above the ground, so you don't want to get too high. Obviously, that becomes a bit of an issue. Most importantly, it's about five minutes of training. Now, the only thing that worries oh, really? me about that is we talk about how much safer flying is in commercial aircraft, safer than driving. Mm. But you've got two experienced, well-trained people <laughs> well, you hope. who have to hope. You have to go through retraining and keep their certifications relevant. And then the aircraft they're flying, not only is it built to very high standards, but the maintenance standards are very high as well. Yeah. Highly maintained aircraft, highly computerised, put two very experienced and very capable people in it to fly it. And surprise, surprise, you don't get many accidents. I'm not sure all of those things apply to someone <laughs> barking that little thing out the front of their place. Uh, I heard a bit of a rattle look in it yesterday. Look after your PHAVs, guys. Yeah, look that's after right. your PHAVs. Yeah, a bit of a rattle. <laughs> I'll, I'll look at that next week and whoops, you fall out of the sky. But if you do fall out of the sky, there's a parachute that rapidly deploys. Oh, wow. So you just float nicely to the ground. I don't know why they don't make every plane with a little parachute that lets it float out of the ground. But, of the but if you can go 450 metres in the air, you can also go just, say, five or six metres in the air, which yeah. is... High enough for your <laughs> standard roof of rooftop of a house. That's right. You're gonna so get there's hurt, a chance you? that people are going to be parking these on people's rooftops as well. Yeah, yeah possibly. Yeah. So uh, they they've got lidar on them so that they can hopefully avoid rooftops. I'll avoid that. Okay. They've got some computerized processes in there to try and avoid all sorts of things. There. I know the first drone that I ever got had some obstacle avoidance factors in there that it took me about three minutes to crash into a tree. So, <laughs> so they're not perfect. Hopefully this one's a little bit better. And the cell that you sit in, the safety cell, is a bit like a Formula One car where it's made of aluminium and carbon fibre to protect you and then around you you've got some collapsible components. Mm. It's got eight rotors and four motors. If one of the motors dies, you can keep flying. But the big thing is the 20-minute flying time. So mm. 20 minutes doesn't seem like long. At 100 k's an hour... You're only going to get the milk. That's right. You, yeah. You're just ducking into work. <laughs> it's about 30-odd k's. Obviously, at 100 k's an hour, about a third of that. You're getting about 30-odd k's out of it. So not a big, long transporter, but this is the first one. This is Jetson this is the 1. First one. So maybe by Jetson 2, 3, 4, or 5, we'll extend some of those features, extend the range. And I think the height will probably stay the same. I think the speed will go up a little bit. But obviously, they're trying to keep it a bit safer. We can have crashes in our car at 100 k's an hour, mm. have crashes in this at 100 k's an hour. Hopefully, the cell is good enough that maybe you'll survive that. But it's happening, James. It yeah, is happening. Wow. That's the exciting thing. With an option to get eight reindeer out the front around <laughs> Christmas time as well. A simulated reindeer, of course. Oh, why not? Why not? <laughs> <laughs> it only seems reasonable, doesn't it? So it's exciting, I think, anyway. Yeah, I, yeah. I just, I can hardly wait corner. that I can get one. If you want to order one, it's only a $30,000 order fee. Yeah, right. And the rest of it is only another hundred grand, so 130 grand all up. But you're waiting now. All the chassis for next year are already ordered. The production capacity they've got basically means that if you order one right now, if you rush out and spend your 30 grand, it'll be 2023 before you'll actually get it. And some people in Australia have ordered them. I had a look uh, through the order list and there were some Aussies that have ordered them. So I need to get friends very quickly with one of these guys. <laughs> well, good things come to those who wait, yeah? Exactly. Hotel keys, folks. Now, I always get nervous about losing them somewhere. Uh, I never have, touch wood, but that doesn't stop me from really getting nervous. These days, it's all no worries anyway. Most hotels going for the electronic lock with the keycard option nowadays, um, but replacing the key is, of course, no worries. 
Well, Apple is still unsatisfied with that option. So they've dropped another option into the mix with a new app that's set to save the bother of fumbling around, even with a key card. What did we do before we had the little plastic keys? I can't remember staying in a hotel <laughs> before. Do they give oh, you there are still places? Keys? Yeah, there are some still places where they give you the, the metal key. Yeah, um, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that might be a bit more drastic because I've turned up home, I must admit, sorry to the hotel I've stayed in, where I open up my suitcase and I go, oh, there's that there's key. key. Yeah. <laughs> is it going to be worth me putting it in the post and sending it back to them or is it worth 10 cents? Yeah. <laughs> if they were the old keys, the physical keys, it would have been cut with a master key and there would have been a full locking system. Yeah. I can imagine the keys are a bit more expensive, but I just can't remember staying in a motel with a good old-fashioned key. Well, if someone packed one of those keys, that would have meant changing the locks and everything. What a pain in the neck. And, yeah, because yeah. you probably didn't want someone coming back randomly and opening up the yeah. motel room. So, yeah, it probably was expensive. Maybe there was some deposit you paid on them. But I, I just can't remember. If anyone can remember what you did before we had plastic <laughs> keys, let me know. But this is the where we're, I think we're going where your phone is becoming everything you need in life. We've talked about your ID, your driver's mm. license, your birth certificates, all those things being on your phone. And now you go and check in at a hotel and rather than get the plastic key that, as you say, you put in your pocket up, make sure I just fill my pocket, I don't want to lose that. Because mm. you come back late at night after you've had a good night out and of course you can't get in the outside door without the plastic key. Yeah. And so then you're sitting outside going, damn the key, I've <laughs> lost it and I can't get in there. But once I get inside, they'll give me another key for my room once I prove who I am, supposedly. They're a bit loose about that sometimes too. But this is really clever because it's working on the fact that a, you've got your phone with you presumably all the time, and B, you've usually got it charged up most of the time. Most people don't like to have their phone go flat because that would be a problem with this. Yeah. And when you actually do the booking, automatically you get the key at the time that your booking starts. So if check-in time is, say, 2 o'clock, you could turn up at the motel late that night and you could actually just wave your phone out the front of the hotel where you would normally wave your key and you get in late at night without having to bother anyone. You'd go straight to your room. You know what room number you're in. It gets sent to you when you're booking. I'm in room 782. I go up to room 782. There I go. I can scan straight in. And then, of course, the next day when you are meant to be checking out at whatever time, after that time, your room key on your phone stops working. So it's all automated, that whole process. Yeah, right. Yeah. Now, I do apologise for Android users. This is something that the Hyatt has done a deal just with Apple at this oh, stage. Okay. I can't imagine they'll keep it exclusive to Apple. Apple might want them to make it exclusive so that everyone has to have an Apple phone. <laughs> we'll only have Apple phone users staying at our hotel, sorry. But obviously the logic is that it's going to be, presumably, I would think, Android and Apple at some stage. It uses near-field communication, NFC, which is a common thing that we're seeing for a whole range of things now so that you can have that communication between a device that you've got and authentication between that and something near you. But I think it's fantastic. I think this is just making it to the point where you really only need your phone. Just check in your pocket, your phone's Mm. there. Or more and more now, I find I just needed my watch. I can go and do so many things with my watch that I just have my watch with me and I know that I've got what I need. So there's no news on this one whether your watch will do it at this stage but certainly with your phone i can't imagine it's that far away before it gets to the point when your watch will do it as well yeah well i mean those key uh, key cards are still made of plastic and it's an an extra bit of plastic that you don't need yeah 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 um we'll just slowly fix up the world with less (laughs) plastic um being used i guess Yeah, yeah that's right and i do feel for people that don't necessarily love smartphones or they don't have an apple phone for example then they're going to have to go the old-fashioned way and get a bit of plastic, and they will be a second-class citizen soon, James. <laughs> oh, what? You've got a bit of plastic? What are you yeah. doing? I can't even remember the days when we used plastic. <laughs> That's <Yeah>. right. <laughs> <laughs> Here's something to diagnose that latent nerdism within you. So if you answer yes, even quietly to yourself, if you answer yes to either of the following questions, then there's no hope for you. Just you just got to own it. 
Do you enjoy spreadsheets, folks? And are your Excel skills impressive? Now, if you did answer yes, then the chances are that you're probably wearing a bright red Bazinga t-shirt, maybe even with Sheldon Cooper's face on it. So just look down and check that, folks. But uh, there is some spectacular news for you. You can now pit your Excel skills against other nerds in an esports-esque competition. Matt, full disclosure here, I have on my laptop complete rainfall data taken from a front gate back to 2008 and all the expected data you'd have from every one of the 357 runs that I've had uh, since 2014. That's my exercise database or spreadsheet there. So what do you reckon my chances are to qualify? And a Bazinga T-shirt. And got. a Bazinga. I have a Bazinga T-shirt, yes. <laughs> yeah, you qualify. <laughs> and this is the thing, the beauty of numbers, James. Oh, I love it. Getting and numbers and then... Oh, awesome graphs. Graphing it, that's right. That's when it gets really exciting, isn't it? You can look at the raw data and you go, what does that really mean? I mm, know mm. a graph will tell me what that data means. But it is fun. I really enjoy getting into a spreadsheet and trying to solve a problem, some conditional formatting to highlight some of the things, some cross-tab data. That gets pretty exciting <laughs> when you get to that level. And then just I admire when I write a formula that just keeps adding and some nested if statements. Mm-hmm. And then when it gets longer and longer and you're wondering, is there a limit on how many nested if statements I can have? And you look at lines of code and you go, Oh, that's Stop beautiful. It. Yeah, that's You're winding right. me up. You're winding me up. <laughs> we might have to go into some spreadsheeting after this. <laughs> but where was this? Where was this in my youth? I, I do love my spreadsheets. And, you know, in all modesty, I think I can handle a spreadsheet fairly well. But a World Cup of spreadsheet competition? Yeah. Now we wow. are talking. Now, it's like eSports. They do actually run it a bit like eSports. training. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Sorry, darling. I'm just on the <laughs> spreadsheets. I'm getting ready for the World Cup next week. This is the Financial Modelling World Cup. They started with 128 participants from all around the world. And just like some of the eSports competitions, they'd have a knockout competition and get down to the quarterfinals, semifinals, and then have the final winner. The only thing I'm a bit disappointed about is that the prize money is not quite as good as esports. Esports can have millions of yeah. prize money in the prize pool. This has only deal. got $10,000 as the total prize pool. Ripped off. I know, I know. And look, it's funded by Microsoft. I reckon they've got more than $10,000 they could spare <laughs> on marketing this. Give it up. <laughs> That's right. Mm. But they give the participants a financial model, something that they need to model, a scenario, if you like, can be up to five pages long in the scenario. And then they've got to build a financial model based on this scenario, put the formulas in place, get it all so that it gives the correct result in some form of modeling that makes sense and explain the whole concept. I just thought this was fantastic. Mm. And it was streamed live. When it got to the quarterfinal stage, it was then streamed live. So is there some speeds of spreadsheeting to be done here? Or? No, this is all about getting the correct modelling, the correct answers. There's a time limit, obviously, yeah, that you okay. have to do a certain time frame. So you're not going to be able to sit there and go, gee, that formula again, I wonder how I do that. I'll just scratch around for a while. Yep. So you need to be fairly proficient. Is there aesthetic judging as well, like how well you're able to present your graph? And I think it's more of the efficiency. Uh, I want the right answer to come out, and yeah, I want right. the the way you've done it, the logic of the way you've done it. Now, financial well, modelling... I like all that, but I also like the colours. Oh, okay. Right, yeah, sorry. Well, <laughs> well, you've got me there. I don't care about the colours that much. But but the financial modelling, the thing is with, with modelling is that it's not necessarily a black and white answer because when you are modelling, there's some assumptions you've got to make. There's some things where you go, well, I think that this and this and this will mean that this will be the next bit of outcome. Mm. So I didn't look at one of the scenarios to see exactly how 
do, or concise the question was in terms of how they, the answer could be yes or no or black or white. But I think that's the whole point of it is that they want people to model things that are happening. And we see mm. modelling in all sorts of things around the world. Well, yeah, the purpose of modelling is to make predictions. Yeah. And the, are your predictions accurate? Yeah. yeah. So it sounds fascinating to me, though. The FMWC, I can hardly wait for next year. I want to enter next year just to be a part <laughs> of the whole process, part of the experience. But the exciting part is that an Aussie actually won it. Aussie Andrew that's actually awesome. won. That's it. He won the whole competition. He beat a Canadian into second place. They had Jami's army cheering for the Canadian because Michael Jam was a Canadian, <laughs> and uh, they were they were devastated when Andrew the Aussie beat him out. And yeah. it wasn't even close. In the final, there were a thousand points up for grabs. And Andrew got 734 points. The Canadian got 280 points. Not even close. Yeah, Why did you wow. bother about Wipe turning the, up the Canadian guy? Wipe the floor with him. That's right. Yeah, right. So well done to Andrew, but I Good just love the idea that there is a financial modelling World Cup in spreadsheeting. <laughs> and just incidentally, um, my total distance of, uh, that I've run over the last oh, six, seven, eight years uh, is 2,041.54 uh, kilometres. Wow. I'd be more that. impressed if you do that in one go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Ultra marathon running here I come. <laughs> so Scott Morrison said that the EV would be the death of the great Aussie weekend. I'm going to hold that against him forever. Uh, you can't go anywhere too far because you'll run out of batteries was the word. Now, Matt, what's this that I'm hearing that you can now drive across the Nullarbor Plain or you, we will be able to drive across, across the Nullarbor Plain in an EV courtesy of some deep fried chips and Chico rolls? <laughs> what scares me most about this is that you're right, we're going to be using some recycled oil out of the fat fryer. But And I'll get into more detail in it, but the thing that scares me the most is that just from the fried chips they've had since this project started, and I assume some fried fish and some fried chicken in there as well, there's enough oil that they've got ready to be run through these burners that will power all the EVs that will go across the Nullarbor in the next year. How many <laughs> chips are we eating out there, James? How many people are stopping at this roadhouse well, alone and eating some chips or other things that have been deep fried? Keeps the truckies going. So go back a few steps here. One of the problems when we go around Australia in an electric vehicle is there's some gaps where there aren't charges, aren't sort of fast charges there. And there's some certificates you can get. If you're in the Tesla Owners Club, for example, and you do the circumnavigation in a Tesla, which many people have done, you get a little certificate to say, hey, look at this, I circumnavigated the That's country. Cool. Yeah, it is cool. Mm. And people do it. They've just got to plan the trip. That's the big difference, I suppose. They can't just drive until they get to the next petrol station and fill up. They've got to plan. They go, okay, yeah. well, there's a supercharger there. There's a fast charger there. There's a different branded charger. And, oh, gee, there's not a charger on there. I'll have to use normal good old-fashioned PowerPoint to charge up there, so I'll be stopped there a bit longer. Mm. And this particular part of the Nullarbor, there's work being done by the WA government and the SA government to put more charges around both states. But they've got a bit of a gap when you go across from WA to SA of 720 kilometres. The Nullarbor Plain is a long road. <laughs> it is, it is, that's right. And this 720 kilometre gap has some roadhouses where people stop and fill up with diesel or fuel, but there's no electric charges. Now, the particular gentleman here owned three roadhouses along there, and he said, I'm not putting in those silly EV chargers because it's too expensive, and he runs the whole roadhouse. There's no grid power. He runs the whole roadhouse off a diesel generator. So out there in the middle, you haven't got electric, uh, you know, the grid lines running across there just to plug into. So he says, I don't want to go and run diesel generators just to charge up an EV that comes along that's too expensive mm. and just doesn't make sense to me. So a bunch of EV enthusiasts got together and said, well, we'll fund it. So they've crowdfunded, oh, crowdfunding, right. crowdfunded yeah. a couple of chargers and they use 
biofuels, so basically recycled oil from your fat fryer to burn and produce enough electricity to charge up a car. Now, probably not the best thing from the environmental perspective. It's better than a diesel generator. And this guy says at the moment, I'm not sure if he should be saying this, but he says, oh, the oil that I used to take out of those fryers I just throw in the dump. I'm not sure if you meant to do that with oil <laughs> out of a fryer, but we'll just let that one slide for the moment. But this is exciting because you'll have two of these and they're being installed in January. So now if someone wants to drive along there, they can pull up at one of these. It'll basically burn the oil as it's producing electricity for the EV charger and you plug your car in and away you go. There now, you go. he's not too worried. When I did say it's got enough, he's got enough oil there for the next 12 months, he's not too worried about it because he said he only sees about one EV a month anyway. But that's because there's a 720-kilometre gap there. Once we get something to plug that gap, i.e. some oil-burning fast charges, I think you'll see that volume go up. Whether people have got to eat more chips now. Yeah, that's right. Whether they've got to eat more chips, more more fried oil that they need to consume to be able to cater to all these electric cars, I'm not sure. But this is it's happening, James. It's so happening across the nation. I can just imagine nation. a sign on the supercharger saying, sorry, no charge today. We haven't sold enough chips. That's right. Go and buy some chips. <laughs> and that might give you another you know, two minutes of charging. I'm not sure. But it's it's quite fascinating. And the fact that people are actually building devices that are using a biofuel to actually charge EVs, obviously there are people out there who see that this is the way of the future. We need to accommodate people that need to charge their cars. Yeah, that's awesome. And we're about halfway through the episode, folks, so it's got to be time for uh, a bit of tech security alerts. Um, Have you picked up an Apple AirTag yet? We talked about them back in May, back in episode six, I think it was. Um, Well, it seems that these need to come with a warning. Apparently, the most cunning of thieves have used them to steal cars. Now, Matt, is there a piece of tech these days that the mongrels of the world can't misuse for ill-gotten gains? Is, <laughs> is that a technical term, those mongrels out there? <laughs> <laughs> I say that with venom, That's mongrels. Right. <laughs> we did talk about the air tag being used, unfortunately, for people that might want to stalk you. And we mm. thought that was bad. Mm. And there's some Starting things... Starting to get that, a bad rap. Yeah, but there's things that Apple have built into their air tag to try and prevent that from happening. But now thieves, and this is what gets me, thieves get orders for a new car. So I'd like a new, whatever it might be, model, luxury model, and I want it with these specs added on, and I want it in this colour. And so a thief takes your order, just like the local car dealer would, goes and finds that car for you, steals it, obviously. (laughs) I assume then removes the VIN, puts a new VIN on it, and says, there you go, sir, there's the car you ordered. Too bad about the guy who used to own the car last week, but (laughs) that's uh, his bad luck. So that's a bit of a process. When you find the car that you've ordered, the thieves were finding it just wasn't very good for their time management because they'd see it in a car park at a local shopping centre and they'd have to wait there all day because it's a bit hard to steal it in the middle of the shopping centre. And then when that car was driven home, they'd follow it home and then they'd come back later that night or the next night and say, oh good, I know where that car is now, I can get in and steal that car, that's easy. But gee, that wasn't very efficient for their time, that was a couple of days spent on just one car. So How do you now, solve the problem? That's right. You go to technology. How do you solve every problem? You go to technology. So now when they see the car that they've got an order for in the car park at their local shopping centre, they go and stick an air tag to it. Stick it underneath the car, <sighs> maybe a bit of duct tape, just anywhere on the car, they stick an air tag onto it, and then they can go home or go and look for their next car, whatever they do during the day, these scammers, thievers, I'm not sure if they live normal lives or they're out there drinking blood or something. And then <laughs> at, the, at the end of the day, they can say, oh, I know where that car is now because it's got my air tag associated with it. I can just go and visit that guy in the middle of the night and relieve him from that car and mm. I can take it away. So this is the problem. Now, 
One thing I thought of was you can double cross the thieves by putting your own air tag in the car in a hidden location. So if it does get stolen, oh, you can right. say, hey, I know where that air tag is because I put one in the car as well. So the guy's <laughs> taken off his air tag, but there's another air tag on there as well. Touché. <laughs> That's right. I'll show that thief. That's if you get under it before they've taken the VIN off there and resold it to someone else. But it is a bit disappointing that this is great technology. Air tags can be great. We've talked about mm. tiles before. There's a whole range of devices out there that help you keep track of things you might lose, your dogs, your small children, whatever it might be. But when you start to have thieves using it to steal cars, oh, you know, to, to steal some words from you, come on, guys, give us a break, please. Yeah, just give us a break, please. Yeah. I've got another story right here. This is an interesting one. I've, the question is, when is the last time you read the terms and conditions on a website or app? For most of us, the answer is a resounding, well, never. And I reckon if you ever have read them, it was probably when you were downloading MSXL, perhaps uh, you're a bit big, boring nerd there. Uh, or I always feel like I should read them, but I never get so much as one line into them and then I fall asleep, you know, three words into line two or whatever. Well, people, AI has come to the rescue as computers are being trained to read the T's and C's for you. Matt, I hope they can paraphrase the hell out of those things because life is too short to listen to them, read, ba- read them back to me. Well, one of the biggest problems that I have in reading the terms and conditions is you would actually see things there you don't like. But what do I do? I don't have a choice. If yeah. I want to use this app, I want to use whatever I'm about to agree to use, and I read in there that there's something in there that I don't really agree with or what they're doing with my data or whatever it might be, Oh, what do I do now? Can I cross out that line? Can I get the text out you to my phone and just put a big line You just have it? to resolve yourself to not having that app. Uh, well, yeah. either not have it or just accept the fact that it's going to be there. But for most people, you're right. They don't even read that. They don't even want to know about the frustration mm-hmm. of all that. So what do they do? They just click, yes, I've read it. They lie. Yeah. And they say, yes, I've read it. And on they go and they use the app. And so there was I've some done that once before. Lied? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, click the box without reading it. Yeah. No, I always do it. <laughs> <laughs> so some researchers said it's not good enough. We need to work out some way to actually have people know what's in there. Surely there's something that mm. could be done, but there's so much legal talk, legalese, mm. so much that's just there that's superfluous. You need the important parts. So these guys got... 1,551 terms and condition statements. They took that from 27 different shopping websites and then they broke them down into 200,000 pairs of sentences. They might have had to go to Access for this, not just Excel. (laughs) (laughs) And then when they did all of that, they ranked those different sentences. What's more important and less important, they obviously didn't do it all themselves. They put it out there and had lots of people ranking, which is more important, sentence one or sentence two. Then they fed all that information back into an AI and they said, now look for these important sentences in any other text. So then they grabbed another bit of text from another bit of uh, another website that was completely unrelated to all their first ones and said, now point out the important sentences in there. And sure enough, it picked out those important ones you that go. you would want to know about. And obviously some of those things are about consumer rights to return the product, about refunds, about what happens under warranty. Some of those things are the important ones. They mm. are the ones you want to know about. Mm. The only time it struggled a bit, and the researchers said that they found about 92% accuracy in giving you the important stuff, the word not tripped up AI. So what? when it said... We will not charge you for refunds versus we will charge you for refunds. 
AI got to be confused because it was looking for certain words. Yeah, charge, okay. refund, oh, this is important. Not charge you for refunds. No, it's okay. I don't need to know about that. Charge you for refunds. What? You're going to charge me for a refund? I want to know about that. So that was the, the issue, the only one. But obviously, they're going to keep working on that. But again, it just shows how clever we are, James. Mm. All of us, we understand the difference between we will not charge you for refunds and we will charge you for refunds. But a good old AI, with all this ability to process data in the blink of an eye, just got a bit tripped up over those two. I'm just worried about um, how they've opened the floodgates for these shonky dealers who um, want to throw not into their terms and conditions <laughs> with a double negative. Yeah, that's right. Oh, I hate double negatives. <laughs> My daughter and I li- love looking at the sort of things we do on holidays, looking at for statements with double negatives in them yeah. just to go, I'm not sure if that person really understood what they were saying when they used those double negatives in there. So we will not not charge you extra. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, goodness me. Now, reminiscing once again, back in late May, in episode eight, we brought you a story about the Ford F-150. It was a pickup that uh, was set to take the utility world by storm. Now, seven months on, and it's time for an update on this ute, and it was all set to be a barometer in the global car market. Matt, it is always going to be a struggle getting an EV with enough grunt to impress the chess beaters of the world. Well, how has it fared so far? Oh, I think if I want to quote from episode eight, I think you actually didn't call them chess beaters back then, James. You might have called them rednecks. <laughs> the rednecks <laughs> of the world. Negity. I got myself a pickup. <laughs> there I go. I've just gone and alienated a whole bunch of people. I'm sorry. <laughs> so the F-150, you were spot on. If any vehicle was going to have a challenge going to electric... The good old-fashioned ute, pickup utility, whatever you want to call it, in America, was going to be it. It's the number one selling vehicle in the world. Mm. Not just Ford's number one, but the number one selling vehicle of all vehicles in the world. So to go to electric was a bit of a risk, although probably not really, but you might see it as a bit of a risk. Well, I reckon, yeah, it was a big one, right? Because we've got these chess beaters saying, hey, I need need my power. That's right. And it needs to make a big noise because how else am I going to impress the girls if I don't have a big noise when I put my foot in the accelerator? I have show. Well, 200,000 reservations are now in the system for the electric F-150, the F-150 Lightning it's called, a three-year waiting list. Now, they're trying to address that. They've spent or spending $28 billion on their electric vehicle process with Ford across the world. So they're obviously saying we need to get our skates on for this. But even with that investment, and that's a few dollars they're investing in it, Mm -hmm. even with that, there's still a three-year waiting list. But it gets better for Ford. The Mustang Mach-E was another one that they thought, here's a power vehicle. And again, you own a Mustang, you want to see the carburetor sticking out the bonnet, you want to see some flames going out the back. It's the same sort of people probably that buy that as the (laughs) F-150. I'm not saying what sort of people, just the same sort of people. And the Mustang Mach-E in electric version is, well, the Mach-E is the electric version of the Mustang. It's fantastic. It's incredibly powerful, much faster than a good old-fashioned Mustang. Doesn't make the noise again, but incredibly popular to the point where they had a complete manufacturing facility in Mexico. This is Ford. They were going to put towards the Explorer, the electric version of the Explorer, and the electric version of the Mustang. And they said, forget about that. We've got so many orders for the Mustang, this whole factory is just going to be Mustang. So if you're waiting out for an Explorer, you'll be waiting a bit longer because they just can't keep up with the capacity of what, or the demand there, the capacity can't keep up with the demand of what is being demanded out there by the community. So that's only with a couple of models. Imagine when they get more and more models in their lineup and people start going, wow, these things are really happening. The winds of change are blowing. Oh, wow. A gale. Wow. Now, genetics is a topic that we haven't spent a lot of time on in the past. 
it's a pity it's a field in the world of tech. Genetics has some pretty exciting prospects. And some of these prospects are becoming more accessible to your average punter these days. Matt, I've laid down the challenge to you now. Tell us how I can find out about how my dog's DNA has been changed from its ancestors or whatever. Uh, yeah, tell me. Yeah, I want to know about how I can look, check up my dog's DNA. So forget about your wife and kids. They're not important. Just no, your no, dog. No, no. That's all you want to know about. <laughs> <laughs> it is incredible, isn't it? You can actually get your dog DNA test now. You can get a little test kit, not very expensive. You do a swab inside the mouth of your dog. I'm not sure how friendly your dog is about putting a, <laughs> a little cotton bud or some type of swab inside the, the mouth of the dog, and you send it off. And Within four weeks, you get a whole bunch of information about your dog. Now, the thing that I like the most about it is you'll actually find out the precise breed of your dog. Yeah, and when okay. you bought that dog and the guy you bought it off around the corner promised you it was a purebred, he just didn't have the certification to back it up, now the DNA testing will first of all show you exactly the sort of breed, all the bits that might go into your Well, I've got a story about that, um, is that we bought a little staffy pup and uh, it looked lovely and cute and, and whatnot. Um, and it wasn't until much later that my wife told me it's actually got some Mastiff in it as well. And it was like, <laughs> oh, that's not what I signed up for. And but. it's not so cute anymore, is it? <laughs> when someone tells you the truth. So the kit will actually screen for about 350 different breeds. And again, you would get a component of those breeds. So if it had a bit of you know, Masti in with the staff, then mm. it would actually show up that. I'm not sure how accurate the percentage is, but it would show the different breeds to go and make it up. Then you can go take it back to the guy you bought off and say, well, you told me this and look what the DNA test shows. But it also will do the sort of things that you want to know about in terms of your long-term health of your dog. Most of this probably just scares you. You just need to make sure you take out some extra loan to put some more investments <laughs> in place for your veterinarian bills as yeah, they come sure. up. But you can find out um, about 210 genetic health risks, um, glaucoma, for example, drug sensitivity, degenerative diseases. Yeah, well, I can imagine there's a whole range of well, diseases. The dog breeding industry is, is a big one, and there's some security in this now because I know there's been some shonky deals going on in the past, and, and people have been a bit, bit upset with the product that they've been sold, yeah, paying yeah. top dollar for. Yeah, yeah. So the other good part about this is that you can actually take this result that you get back from your DNA test and you can take it to your vet and hopefully the vet can actually address some of these concerns you might have or say yes in about three years time that particular problem will come to light and this is what you have to do about it and go and get the dog insurance right now which is interesting dog insurance which people do take out pet insurance maybe some pet insurers won't insure you now if you go and get the DNA test done and then you find out some major problems with your dog that are going to happen in a couple of years' Knowing time. too much. That's right. Maybe get the pet insurance out now before you do the <laughs> DNA test. You can claim complete ignorance and then away you go. Yeah. But isn't it fascinating that it's not that long ago, I want to say 20 years, that we actually discovered the or broke the, down the DNA. The, the human, human genome yeah. was about 2005, I yeah, want to so say. Not yeah, even 20 years ago. Mm. And here we are now that... We've got DNA yeah. for dogs or testing of DNA for dogs. And and this is, imagine, you know, that first breaking down of the, the human genome mm. was obviously an incredible long process and just the equipment used. Now there's some company probably with a machine that goes bing that sits in the corner and they feed it in and out comes the result. Well, it all comes to the computing power. So when they were estimating um, reading the human genome, I think they were actually predicting it was going to be about 2010, 2015 that they were going to finish reading it. Right. But the computing power just picked up and picked up and picked up and picked up and lots of people got on board and they were talking. And now we've, we're um, sequencing the, the genomes for 
heaps of different species of animals. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. It's um, it's commonplace. Shows you how important the dogs are, the pets are in mm. our lives. When you start to get DNA testing for pets, yeah. good Christmas present. If you've got someone that's a pet lover, that's a good Christmas present. A bit late now. Maybe you should have bought it last week. <laughs> <laughs> Playing video games and watching TV while you drive, it's a controversial enterprise at the very least and not entirely recommended on even the longest of country drives, but it's possible, particularly in a Tesla or a Mercedes-Benz these days. Matt, are we going to have to have public education programs to educate drivers about the dangers of watching TV or playing computer games while they drive now? Is it the same people that need the warning on their coffee cup? Warning, coffee might be hot. Might be hot, yeah. <laughs> and surely... Or a packet of peanuts, warning contains nuts. <laughs> or <laughs> may contain <laughs> traces of nuts, even. <laughs> oh, there's some good ones out there. So it is interesting that, theoretically, when you're in a vehicle that's got an in-car entertainment system, it's designed to not work when you're driving. Sure, if it's in the back seat, that's fine. The kids can watch the movies in the back seat. Mm. But in the front seat, no. The in-car dash, the centre console, should obviously not be in entertainment mode. It's there to give you a map or give you information about the vehicle. But Tesla, for example does over-the-air updates. And I know in, in my couple of Teslas, then I get regular things that change and suddenly there'll be a, an update that comes through. You do that and something different will appear on screen. And there was one owner that realised that he was actually playing a game and then he started to drive off and it kept playing. He went, oh, that's oh, interesting. Wow. It's meant to stop. So there was obviously some update that came out where it didn't actually stop that from working. They must have done an update to the game or have done something. And then in that over the update, it kept working. Tesla weren't too worried about it. They thought we'll keep doing it. And one gentleman actually got to the stage where he did some testing himself into a car park, drove around while playing a game in a car park. And the only thing that was there to stop you doing it was a little warning that came up and it said, do not play this from the driver or from the driver's seat. Are you a passenger? You click yes on that, just like the terms and conditions where you just say whatever, and you click yes, and next thing you know, it says you must be the passenger and away you go. So you can get playing while you go. But even if the passenger was playing a game... I can imagine that would be a bit distracting yeah. as the driver because you're watching the road ahead. You might need to check where you're going. You want to check down to your sat-nav and you've got a game. Oh, what, what are you doing there on that game? Oh, it's interesting. Oh, watch out on the left there, James. <laughs> and then next thing you know, you're into a tree. So the, the passenger's telling you to watch out on, on the left what's coming and you're watching the game and well, saying what's coming on the game. Bring on, on to autonomous cars, huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah that's right. And then you're free to go. And that's interesting because Tesla have actually said that in the past that we don't mind about this big screen and about playing games while you drive because you won't be focusing on the road. You'll be focusing on the game while you're biding your time to get mm. to destination. But Mercedes-Benz had a similar problem. They've got some of their new vehicles coming out with a huge screen in them. I think Tesla have really started something here where everyone, if you're going to have an electric car, you've got to have a big screen in the middle of it. Obviously, that's what everyone wants. So they've got a huge screen in the middle of theirs and they actually found a minor issue where it actually allowed you to keep watching TV while you were driving along. So you could be watching uh, cricket or whatever might be on TV at the time. And whoops, away it went. Now Mercedes-Benz picked up on that. They self-reported it and said, we'll fix the problem ourselves. They actually did a recall, which was a bit over the top because it just needs a software update. But Mm. again, they'll be worried about safety. But Tesla, yeah, not so much. They went, yeah, whatever. You're you're okay, aren't you, James? You won't get distracted by that. You'll be okay. Just be careful, will you? And everything will be okay. Cowboys, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. So, yeah, that's the future, folks. And with that, we shut down on another episode of Tech Talk with Matthew Dickerson. That makes 39 by my count now. Wow. 
Um, I'm off for another jog, so I've got something more to add to my spreadsheet. Good. Now I want to see some more stats on those too. Mm-hmm. I've only got the total kilometres at this stage. I need to see you know, maximum average speed, minimum average speed, overall average speed, and the all-important... I can backtrack. Hey, good, good. <laughs> all important heart rates. I want to see heart rates linked to those and then linked to your age and your maximum heart rate percentages, if that's okay. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, well, I've got some homework to do over the Christmas break. Yeah, good work. <laughs> and I hope you had a wonderful Christmas. But there's more news on the tech front. We've all loved how the Hubble telescope cracked the secrets of the deep universe wide open 30 years ago. Well, get a pair of Kimbys ready again for what the James Webb Space Telescope is about to give us. It launched just a couple of days ago on Christmas Eve. And it's set to deliver us some really fantastic secrets over the next couple of years from deep, deep, deep in the universe. Keep your eye posted for that one. I'm James Eddy, wishing you all a very happy new year. And we'll catch you again hopefully next time for another cracking tech talk.